passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock alongside Wei Ting. Hello, Wei. Hey, John. How are you doing? I am uh, I am looking forward to another wonderful night of chatter. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Sorry. I'm just... I know. I'm you're frozen, I, aren't you? I just... I like are, People who listen to this will have no idea, but I've just been dealing with like the worst video issues. So every time we start... And, uh, like it's always temporarily frozen so <laughs> anyway hopefully this catches up and um it'll all work out and people who are listening again you won't be any the wiser it just does something to me when i'm talking to you and it's just this frozen picture it just somehow i i take it personally it's almost as <laughs> though it's like that you're just so stoic and just non uh interested in in anything oh. i have to say even though it's out of your control i know you're deeply uh attached to all my my witty uh lines of conversation oh if you could only see the reactions um that i'm giving you i'm i'm just huge smile on my face very happy to the be images here. are like updating so it's like now you're smiling oh, <laughs> oh no <laughs> Uh, at least you're okay. here. You haven't uh, you haven't fallen out yet, so so that's no. good. I like that it's not me that's on this. I feel uh oh. less less pressure when it's with you, not me. But we have lots to discuss tonight. We have a uh, dynamite featuring um, open mic night at the beginning of the show and a unannounced main event from Pittsburgh. We will get into all of that. You are more than welcome to get in on the chat by sending in your super chats and feedback that we will get to at the end of the show. But way we are going to start off with the news and Fightful reporting. I knew it. I knew, I knew way was just going to, at one point, just tap out completely. Uh, but we are going to be uh, getting into all of the news. And the first story uh, is coming by way of Fightful. And that is that the WWE has apparently reached a brand new deal with Twitch and this will result in a three-way revenue split that is going to see talent uh, cut into apparently a, a healthy percentage of this revenue along with WWE and Twitch. And there will be essentially uh, minimal restrictions uh, beyond streaming with talent from other companies unless it is cleared in advance. Now, if you go back several years to 2020, that is when the edict came down that main roster talent would be unable to continue their Twitch streams. And this was a, a sore spot among many 
main roster performers. You have to remember this is still during the pandemic and it became a release for a lot of these talents to have that kind of interaction. But on top of it, these were extremely um, highly revenue generating uh, outfits for the company to be able to be out there on Twitch and to be able to have that revenue. And when that was taken away, uh, we we got a glimpse into the kind of money that is out there for a lot of these talents and bringing about the debate among independent contractors and what WWE has a stake in when it comes to their performers that are able to go out and whether it is uh, streaming using their their character names, their real names. Um, this this was definitely a blow at the time. So I can only imagine how much this has been met with a positivity from those that are gamers that found Twitch to be a, a huge uh, add-on to what they make every year. And to me, this is always, um, you know, a- as we have seen, it is not as though in these last three years that we have seen WWE dive into Twitch. If you remember back in 2020, it was this idea of this this grand plan that they had, that this was all going to make sense. Well, it never really went that way. And now, lo and behold, uh, some two and a half years later, they are apparently allowing main roster talent to return to Twitch. And I think at this point, um, the bigger question is, <laughs> is Way going to be moving over to Twitch? <laughs> is he giving up on StreamYard? Is that oh, the, the, the answer that we are going to be getting from Way? Well, we'll see. Regardless of whether or not I'm allowed, I, I feel like I am. I, um, yeah, I feel like... um. I, you know, I don't know how I feel. Maybe I'm better off not being, um, st- not streaming at all. Uh, but I- I've been here this entire time, John, and uh, that was a great summation of this uh, story. And uh, I'm surprised it took this long for them to, you know, get this all all through. I mean, clearly there's money to be made by everybody involved here. Um, I'm sure people that were already established on Twitch that were making a certain amount probably didn't really want to give WWE a cut at all. But if the um, alternative was to not be able to be attached to Twitch uh, whatsoever, then that uh, th- that probably doesn't really help anybody. So um, I think it's it's good. You know, it, it makes sense for the company. It makes sense for it's good for the wrestlers, especially those who don't get normal TV time. Um, as we all know, I think and being a professional wrestler these days isn't just about um, your in ring product. It's not just about how good of a promo you are. It's it's how how engaged can you make your audience outside of the hours that you're the very limited hours that you get on television. Um, and I think this will really help, especially a lot of the undercard wrestlers. It number one, it I think will greatly improve the the morale. And, and I would say overall, I think you have probably had over these last nine or ten months a, a pretty stronger morale uh, among your locker room. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a kind of deal where you're allowing your talent to do this. They are going to make more money on the side, and it's essentially no. It, it's nothing out of your. Uh, out, out of your wallet that you are seeing these talents being able to benefit from this it is, you know, certainly you can, you can argue how much WWE would feel they are owed in all of this. But to me, it's, it's a rather small amount in the, in the grand scheme of things for WWE. And it's just a benefit to your locker room. I think this is a relatively uh, easy choice to make. And one that I'm sure is going to be received very, very well from those it directly involves. Now, on that note, uh, we will continue on. And John Wall Street, which is a kind of a, an analysis uh, outlet that uh, looks at a lot of major uh, companies, uh, publicly traded companies, uh, they had this 
lengthy story on the recent WWE and uh, UFC merger, and including quotes from analyst Curry Baker, who is one of the analysts that you also hear on these earnings calls with uh, with Guggenheim Partners. And it, this is a very interesting piece to look at, uh, just with some of the the, uh, the thoughts by Curry Baker and uh, in the article itself. So Curry Baker, he is predicting that NBC Universal is going to retain the rights to WWE Raw, and that. Uh, this comes directly fr- from the article that NBCU wants to retain the raw rights this renewal cycle and are willing to pay up for them. They're possibly looking at SmackDown as well, said Baker. And for the WWE, uh, they could have backed into a buyer's multiple that was somewhere between 8 and 10x, depending on what step up they are assuming or underwriting for this incoming renewal. He believes that the uh, for, for the domestic rights, which, again, they are up at the end of September 2024, he is predicting NBCU keeps Raw and on the UFC side of things believes that Disney is going to retain the UFC rights uh, because of the, the pay-per-view portion of that contract being so valuable. Where it gets interesting is what we have discussed many times with with Brandon Thurston and others is SmackDown and what is Fox's attachment to SmackDown when it comes to those rights and The article notes here that WWE has indicated that there is interest from Google, Apple, and Amazon if Fox decides to punt on SmackDown. So at least getting that word out there Hmm. uh, through their, I guess, intel that, you know, the the big ones, the the fangs, as they are called on the street, are looking at WWE programming. So could we see SmackDown on Google or Apple or Amazon? Obviously, those are going to be companies that we are – focused on uh, for all of these major rights that are coming due and the big one being the NBA in two years that you would have to think uh, those Amazons and Googles and Apples are going to be making plays for uh, the biggest rights that are out there outside of the NFL. And where does WWE fall into that strategy? For them, it's going to be uh, the more interested parties you have, the better for their chances of upping their rights by a significant amount. Now, in assessing the merger, um, this is also included in the article. Uh, it states that there could be as many as or as much as $200 million worth of revenues, uh, revenue synergies to be gained across international media rights, this being between the WWE and the UFC. And Curry Baker brings up that last year, WWE did about $40 million in sponsorship UFC does 140 million uh, in sponsorship and noting the fact that if you watch a UFC event and a WWE event, uh, save for maybe this past WrestleMania, you can see the obvious difference of how many logos you see plastered all over the octagon and WWE. I mean, again, it's a clean canvas and Nick Khan is ready to get his hands dirty and get whatever logos possible that they can fit on that mat. But that's a huge discrepancy way when you're looking at a hundred million dollar difference between WWE and UFC and Nick Khan stating in that recent uh, light shed interview, the idea that it's a more grittier product that UFC has. And they feel they can certainly with endeavors help bridge that gap between UFC. And I would think endeavor, they are looking at WWE as something that if not equaling UFC can at least be much closer to that $140 million figure and it's a huge growth area that WWE can explore. 
it makes sense you know when you just when you just kind of lay out the the numbers like that it, it does go against maybe what we've accepted as wrestling fans as maybe conventional thinking in um assuming that a professional wrestling product is not as likely to garner as high um advertising rates as something like a ufc nick Khan's argument seems to be that oh i mean MMA is far more bloodier and therefore it should be more unattractive to advertisers than what we do, which is a lot more family friendly. Um, so we'll see if he's right. You know, um, it, when you kind of think about it like this, it's it again makes you kind of wonder what's been stopping Vince, you know, to, from from maybe exploring some of these options. Could he really care about the look of his product that much that he would forego potentially these millions and millions of dollars um or was it just something he didn't really have the sort of uh, wisdom or or power or connections to really kind of like uh, implement so well let's see yeah and i mean when nikon is flat out on the record stating that they're going to be selling off this area i mean i don't think they're in the discussion phase anymore they're in the execution mm. phase when it when it comes to this uh, an interesting line in all of this was just exploring the idea of why this would have made sense for for Comcast to buy the company when you're looking at uh, the increase in rights. And it's just a line here that they included uh, that it seems unlikely Comcast would have kept Vince McMahon around, which is interesting there um, mm-hmm. and can't be stunning either. But it also does um, give some insight into at least one of the companies and some potential uh, friction there with Vince McMahon's attachment to all of this. And the the big question that that way wanted to know was uh well this one look for the company to make the two deals coterminous over the next cycle and to reevaluate where the media ecosystem stands come 2030 yeah co not uh co morbidity what did you say <laughs> co formation co formation co something <laughs> okay coterminous um word of the week here at post wrestling yeah, uh, but but Curry Baker throws out the idea of a big media player potentially coming in and essentially you're looking at the, the potential of down the road bundling UFC and WWE together in some form or fashion and by coterminous, meaning that these next set of deals would wrap up around the same time, earmarking 2030. But you know, if you read this John Wall Street uh, piece, like they state, like if if certain revenue figures are in place, like this could be a stock that could go well above one hundred and five dollars. Like this could be something that in the long term is a is a big win for Endeavor. So uh, this is a very interesting article just to go through. And from an analyst that knows WWE pretty, pretty deeply in, in Curry Baker as well. Can you explain something to me, John, like from your understanding? So um, would you be would would a common person be able to buy TKO stock? Or is that strictly is that something that belongs to WWE and Endeavor? It's well, the the 49 percent of the company will be owned by uh, like WWE shareholders, which from my understanding, yeah, the public. Can you still buy WWE stock next year once TKO is in operation? That's my understanding. Yes. But can you buy TKO stock? TKO stock? Um See, I I need like the exact. It's going to be trading under under that letter, so I assume so. I I, I would need more expertise on like the breakdown of this because you have, you know, fifty one percent is owned by Endeavor, which is a public mm-hmm. company, and then forty nine percent is WWE shareholders, which in will in theory become TKO shareholders. So my understanding is that yeah, like the average person can still like buy stock here, right? So Endeavor would own. 51% of TKO 
WWE shareholders would be converted to TKO? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry. I just, uh, it's just a, a point of confusion for me. Why are you considering of like cashing in now and, and just going after majority control? No, I'm not at all. Uh, MJ from NJ. Thank you. Thank you very much. He says you can buy WWE stock at some point that will convert to TKO. So, so I guess if you're a commoner, then that's when you would look to enter. All right, let's get into uh, ratings from the last uh, couple of nights. So Raw on Monday night did 1,815,000 viewers and a .58 in the demo. This was their first week against uh, both NBA and NHL playoffs uh, with the uh, the playoffs kicking off. And Raw finished fourth on cable. They were only behind the M- the NBA and it was a much stronger first hour than last week. In fact, if you throw out the night after Mania, this was their highest performing first hour since February. Um, but because of that higher first hour, they did have a big drop in the third hour, losing 19% of their viewers throughout the show. Um, big audience in women, 18 to 49 this week. And uh, and again, this was going against uh, two NBA games. The big takeaway from this is that if you look at exactly one year ago, when they had the same, in, in fact, they actually had uh, easier competition a year ago because they went against two NBA games and there weren't any NHL playoff games. But this year, and this is, remember, factoring in, there are fewer homes with cable when you're comparing to last year. But this year, they are up 10% in viewers. They were up 22% in 18 to 49 from the same week last year. And they were up 37% in 18 to 34. So these are numbers that, in theory, should be down because of less cable homes. On top of it, you had two uh, NHL playoff games that you did not have to contend with last year. So I look at that, looking at the comparisons year to year, um, they held up extremely well. And I would state that this is it, this is only the first week. And as the playoffs go deeper, you're going to have, you know, heavier competition but at least for this week uh, i think it held up really really well and we're going to see if this hot streak that wwe is on can somewhat mitigate the the usual loss we see in the spring when they're up against the playoffs until the middle of june nxt on tuesday night oh also in uh canada on oln they did one hundred twenty three thousand viewers which is a much smaller network than sportsnet 360 but is by far the highest that raw has ever done on OLN. They nearly doubled what they did the last time on that network. So all those annoying crawls at the bottom of the screen for the last two weeks of programming drummed it into people's head because, um, and again, in Canada, the NHL, a much bigger deal than um, the, the NHL playoffs in the U S the, the Leafs game last night on Tuesday did like 2.2 million viewers in Canada. Like that's a crazy number when we're when we're talking about raw doing like 400,000 viewers and it's like this <laughs> like highest number in years. And dude, the Leafs are doing 2.2 million for game one of the first round of the playoffs. A number almost as crazy as the score of that particular game. Well, it was about that. I tuned into the game and when the lightning scored within about 13 seconds, like same old Leafs, uh, always the reliable Leafs. Seven to three. They lost. Yeah, that was the, the 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 end score. So anyway, game two tomorrow night. NXT on Tuesday did five hundred and sixty five thousand viewers and a point one four in the demo, up seven and eight percent respectively. This was seventeenth on cable. 
the big audience was women, women 18 to 49, their largest audience in that category since November the 15th of last year, while males were down in the demo this week, 10%. They were going against the uh, the Knicks and Cavs and the Hawks Celtics, but that game was only on NBA TV, so not a gigantic game, plus two uh, NHL games. So for the 2.2 million that the Leafs drew in Canada, wait, guess what they did in the U.S. on ESPN? 2.2 million. 715,000 on ESPN. <laughs> so that's okay. the Leafs are, uh, they're, they're Canada's wonder here. Uh, in, the, in the U.S., they're like, what, what's the big deal? And we'd probably say the same thing. Anyway, so th- those were the numbers. I would say both of them um, held up well, but uh, especially when you're looking at uh, Raw uh, year over year, I think that was a very good Raw number. And for NXT, I, I think the fact that they did not go down and they were actually up from last week with all of this uh, basketball and NHL competition, for what was, you know, not a very special NXT show. It's not like they had a whole, uh, unless, unless you're just a big Grayson Waller effect uh, fan. We will see how spring breaking does next week against uh, further playoff competition. Bill Goldberg, he is a free agent, as it has been reported, and he appeared on 93.7 The Ticket and was giving some insight into what what is in this man's mind as he is uh, winding down his pro wrestling career. And we're going to hear from that interview and what's on Bill Goldberg's mind. What's next? I'll stop the rumor mill right now. Uh, the, the reason why these rumors are out there is because Vince McMahon and I had a handshake understanding that, you know, after the Roman Reigns match, I would have a, a proper retirement match. And, you know, that hasn't, come to fruition through them and so therefore you know nobody puts a stamp on my career Um, nobody tells me when I'm done period end of story and when somebody tells me that you know uh, I kind of like to fight against it (laughs) I like to do things my own way and I go out my own way and I surely don't go out you know uh, under Roman Reigns, you know, three weeks after I have COVID and agreed to a match. So, um, I'm, if I go on a world tour and promote it myself, you know, that's a possibility. If I, you know, I, Hey, I'm a businessman and I'm fortunately, you know, in the position I firmly believe to where I can still make it happen. So, um, you know, uh, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I, I do believe that my character deserves a proper send off. And, um, you know, until that happens, man, I, I don't, I don't believe I'm, I'm hanging them up, you know, so anything and everything is an option. And like I say, I'm, I'm very much leaning towards promoting it myself and doing a, a four, four city world tour. So, um, let the rumor mill start up after that. Well, to Bill Goldberg, the businessman, I'm going to give this free advice that doing a four-city tour uh, and going the live event route yourself, please don't do it. Uh, well, not, well, I, I don't think, first of all, if you're fronting all the money, like granted, maybe he's got some spo- some giant sponsors behind him. I just do not see a appetite for um, it, just the amount of money you will sink into that that I just don't feel you will have a, a viable market uh, for, for, for that kind of adventure. Do we have any numbers on how the uh, Ric Flair last match did? The attendance, the attendance we, we, we do. And it, and it did do uh, 
very well, SummerSlam weekend. So that that is uh, an outlier that that you have certainly. Um, four cities, though. Could you have taken the Ric Flair final match into uh, four different markets? Do you think that there would have been? I don't think four is that ambitious. You know, especially like uh, Flair. I I actually would would have said yes, depending on maybe the caliber and roster of opponents. Like I I think four for Goldberg. Goldberg is not as big as Ric Flair. Um, is there the appetite? I mean, I do question it myself. Are, are there think- the opponents? On the indie scene, yeah, I, th- I think there are. Um, there are plenty of, of of options. Bill Goldberg and Jimmy Lloyd. Bill Goldberg and anybody, John, is like you know a pretty interesting. Like you know Bill Goldberg and and uh, PCO, uh, like you name it. It's like it. I they're all weird matches that I kind of want to see. So I mean, whatever. Like taking taking out of this, or, clip, or you could just lower like whatever your your expectation is. Like he is not going to get the WWE level of money with an AEW, but I think he's not getting Saudi money anywhere. Well, he's not getting Saudi money from WWE. I would think at this point, I don't think they're spending a crazy amount uh, right now. That's one of the more interesting aspects of this entire thing is like, um, clearly like WWE has in Vince, especially has, you know, wanted to use Goldberg several times throughout the years. What's stopping them from re-upping that similar deal and just even giving him this one more match, which is what this guy seems to be wanting? Is it is it more of yeah, and that's of- what I would be angling for if I'm Goldberg, like doing an interview. This very much felt like what Hogan would do back in his time when it when it was coming WrestleMania time, and he would go out and he would talk about doing his own tour, his own thing. He got there kind of with the XWF, but it was always kind of playing you know, one side against the other and whether it was getting an offer from TNA or to get a better offer at WWE, like to me, Goldberg, it would, I would think like a WWE doing a retirement match or AEW that wants a hook to do a a Goldberg retirement match. I think that there would be value there as opposed to this guy. Are you actually suggesting hook or are you you just saying? Um, Well, Sure. Sure. Hook Uh, and Goldberg. Yeah. That that sounds awesome. Actually. No, it would have to be, gauge against hook yes of course we'd have to you know work in the transition to gauge goldberg at some point but i mean tony khan has uh, explicitly said that he's been paying attention to goldberg's free agency uh, and and to me this almost maybe it's it sounds like it's goldberg trying to give himself some leverage by saying if i don't go with you tony khan if you don't give me a great offer i could do this myself um tell you know obviously sending a similar message to wwe but the fact that we're spending this much time talking about him suggests that that there's at least plenty of interest in seeing a final goldberg run yeah i just think you would want to attach yourself where the the money is guaranteed like we're talking about an industry that is much less of a live event industry for a reason and you know you you do bring up the rick flair one that was a successful show and Goldberg, you would want to at least replicate that. But I just think in the grand scheme of things to do all of this where you're taking it on, you're, you would have to be working with uh, promotions companies like a, a, like a touring company. It's just a lot to, to sink in for, for pro wrestling versus the option that you could be very valuable to either company. And hmm. we'll see. Like his asking price, I'm, I'm sure it's not low. Um, and he's not going to just do this at such a reduced rate that it doesn't make sense for him as well. Last thing to bring up is that this Sunday, it is the Stardom All-Star Grand Queendom pay-per-view. And we have a fantastic preview 
up on the site with Bruce Lord and Karen Peterson going match by match, previewing it. You can watch it right now on the YouTube channel and on the free post wrestling feed. This was a great show. I really thought thought if you guys uh, haven't had a chance to watch it yet, we specifically wanted to put this out there uh, because this is if you're going to be interested in stardom and jumping on, this appears to be a great jump jumping on point. So um, what else is on the card? Do you want to go through it? Well, the the match I think is going to have a lot of interest is Mercedes Monet and Mayu Iwatani, who are having their match for the IWGP women's title. Uh, and I guess the question will be if if Mercedes loses the title, what that means. If she wins the title, obviously that would mean she's doing at least uh, one more date for stardom slash New Japan. Yeah, yeah. At this point, I she could still like lose the title and still do one more date, but um, maybe maybe it's more attractive with with her having the championship. So I guess we'll find out. But how would you assess the the Mercedes experiment? Um, you know, it's it, been okay. I don't think they've really f- fully taken advantage of um, like what is the goal? What was her her goal? Okay, so you can argue um, they didn't really use her for Wrestle Kingdom. Like there was hype around her. He, like her appearance but they never really kind of advertised it right so what did they use her for which they should have yeah they should have they used her for um the the la show right the san jose show san jose which, show. which did sell out after you know it was only but, but what three thousand people like less less than that like less than three thousand that's hardly i would say you know game changing i would say for you know new japan pro wrestling um Dominion- a lot of it way is going to be this show and if th- this yeah. match brings a whole lot of new uh pay-per-view buyers or down the road stardom world like certainly i I, i'm this was not chris jericho going to new japan in terms of what this meant uh from the stardom side of things i think it has brought some attention to stardom but i it it hasn't felt to me like it has been a like an industry shaking move that has taken stardom to this these grand heights but uh I also kind of want to reserve judgment to see what kind of level of interest this show on Sunday has. Like so much has been geared towards this April 23rd show. You can you can make the argument that like, is there a ceiling to how much you can really benefit from having a, you know, a Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks attached to what's still a pretty niche product like a stardom is even New Japan. I would say, you know, on on, on a certain level is, is considered niche. How much did New Japan necessarily benefit from having, you know, a women's women's wrestling match on um, Sakura Genesis? Um, and, I, and what becomes of the status of this championship um, in a you know post Mercedes uh, company? Right. Like, is this going to be something that is like has this per- been presented as a giant championship in in New Japan? Like, you did have the closing scene with Okada and Mercedes in San Jose and trying to position them as equals, but time will tell. I mean, it's they didn't headline the the show in San Jose with with Mercedes. It's it's a championship that like we will see. Like you can't just build it around one person. You have the talent, but are they going to, you know, the next champion like how will that be in terms of the integration with New Japan? I, I will say I think having, you know, the the three-way at Sakura Genesis like probably especially for a Japanese audience further expose your stardom uh, parts of your stardom roster to a New Japan audience. But man, that's only like really like it's only two matches so far. So like is is uh, if I was New Japan, like I would definitely seek to extend this this deal with Monet and then really try to um, just advertise the shit out of it. You know, I one of the big things I was I spoke to Karen about was just how it's really odd how they don't announce how you can order the stardom pay-per-view until like the Thursday that 
to me is is some really strange. Um, but I don't know. Maybe there's just a different pay per view system, I guess. There. You don't like the mystery of like how am I going to watch this show and having to <laughs> yeah. wait until till the end? No. Yeah. Well, that's coming up on Sunday, and you can go watch the whole preview. It's an hour-long uh, discussion of all the matches at the Stardom pay-per-view, and then Bruce and Karen are back on Sunday with a review of the card, and that will be available exclusively to Post Wrestling Cafe members. And we are going to be coming back, myself and Way, on Thursday with our big review of All Wheels Wrestling, the pilot, the one-and-done of TNA's offshoot starring Schwag D and RPM. This all wheels wrestling idea was hatched <laughs> in June of 2011. The Speed Channel took a look at this and they said, huh, this is great. Great, guys. You want 10 episodes? We want no more episodes. Thanks, guys. We appreciate the effort. This was one of the weirder things I've come across in my um, professional wrestling fandom. Um, if you listen, if you if you thought we were on to something by talking about F1, having some F1 conversations on a professional wrestling podcast, well, this wrestling product is for you. All Wheels Wrestling. Did you ever think how <laughs> how motorsports and professional wrestling would be promoted and combined as one? Have you ever thought at night? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever have you ever thought about what NASCAR driver? I think he's a NASCAR driver. Kyle Perry. How he? Kyle Petty. What, oh, Kyle Petty. Sorry. What what strategy he could possibly give to a professional wrestler so that he could uh, um, earn uh, the top points and get, get to pole position? Um, <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things I've seen, and it was absolutely wonderful to talk about. So that's coming out tomorrow in the Post Wrestling Cafe. So check all of that out. Uh, we will also be back Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown. For Cafe members, we will be live at 10 p.m. Eastern time because it is just SmackDown this Friday night. No Rampage. And then uh, coming up this weekend, the NWA podcast is coming at you Saturday night with Chris Ely, Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson, and their special guest, Brian Mann, who is pumping up the satellite of hate, plugging it in, and he is going to join the three as they will break down the entire industry yeah yeah always good to catch up with those guys once a month so i'm looking forward to that live here at youtube.com slash post wrestling so check that out saturday night and then wrestlenomics radio coming up this sunday now we are going to get into dynamite from the peterson event center in pittsburgh pennsylvania a really hot crowd for the majority of this show a lot of it built around Britt baker but this it was not as though they were just here for Britt baker i thought this was one of the better crowds we have had uh in, in some time for AEW that it was typical that weekly we would get these super hot crowds, but they're a bit more spaced out now, but this was a great crowd. Agreed. Yeah. They said it really good all night. So to open things up, Jack Perry comes down and is immediately interrupted by Sammy Guevara and then Darby Allen. So three of the four pillars are in the ring and it is time for each of them to have their mic time. Darby says he's known Sammy the longest and likes him the most, but that Guevara is the least qualified to fight for the title because he is seen as a follower. Whereas him and Sting, they are equals. It's not the Sting Appreciation Society. Guevara became TNT champion on his own, and he thinks that Jericho is holding Guevara back. And if you have a problem with that, you can come confront us about that. Jack Perry, he then refers to, if that's your name, what's your name this week? Jungle Jack? He says that you work the least out of all of us. You were part of the California clique coming in here. 
while I was living in my car when you got signed and I was jealous, but then I saw what you were all about and I wasn't intimidated by you at all. It's now Jack Perry's turn. And he brings up the face paint that Darby wears and seeing kids in the crowd with the face paint and asks if they really know what Darby Allen is like. You're antisocial. You're unfriendly. And wait for it. Cover your ears, kids. You're rude. You rude. Well, nobody likes somebody like that. Come on. And it says to anyone who doesn't view him, uh, he's rude to anyone that Darby doesn't believe is cool. And you, this is your backup. You are here because you couldn't make it as a skateboarder. Mm -hmm. Stuff was getting heated. So Perry then turns to Guevara and calls him a dirtbag, but he respects Guevara because what you see is what you get. He puts his life on the line out here, but you're still a scumbag piece of shit. Guevara tells Perry, you're just like MJF, both handpicked to be here. Back at Double or Nothing, the first one, I was on the pre-show watching Bret Hart come out for a match between MJF and you. How dare you be booked on a pay-per-view? And Darby wasn't on the last pay-per-view, but who was? You and MJF. To me, I was, all I was getting from this is like, okay, <laughs> Jungle, Jungle Boy is like a bigger star. And uh, this was the argument. Like, you, If you hadn't been booked on the last pay-per-view, you'd have cred with us. But because of your success on these pay-per-views, can't applaud you. He says, uh, he, he goes on and says that Darby gave him hope here in this company because he kept losing and losing, but then he was the first pillar to win a title and break the glass ceiling that they want to put on us. But Guevara did it three times better, winning the TNT title those many times. And him and Darby, they try to outdo each other with their stunts. And now it's Darby's time to watch me become AEW champion. And Jack Perry gets the last word in saying, I'm going to do it for everyone that supported me since day one. Mm Mm-hmm. You did not like this. I I thought this went, I liked the idea of this in that these are three guys that they have been only getting extended microphone time of late. Mm -hmm. Number one, I don't think your audience loves the opening like promo style that brings them back to something that was a criticism of WWE at a time. Number two was, I, I thought, especially Jack Perry was very uncomfortable talking for this amount of time. And if you're going to do a 10 minute promo segment, it's got to be incredible. And I know that you have to give guys opportunities to grow, but in, in the moment, I, I feel like this did struggle for the, the 10 minutes or so that, that it lasted. And Hmm. when you have MJF come out at the end, it sort of shows you the level that these three are clearly not at yet. Right. But this entire program is to, you know, hopefully be able to bring those guys up to an MJF level. Um, I I like this, dude. Like, I, I enjoyed it. And I'm not somebody who um, feels like AEW can't have the opening speaking segment. If anything, I feel like they should do it more because 
I think you have a lot of guys who are incredible wrestlers, but who haven't really been able to establish character. And and I think it's something that AEW needs. Um, I could see maybe people being turned off because it's something WWE does. But I think some things WWE does are right. And I don't think AEW should just shy away because the other company I'm not saying, like, don't do it. But I think that it it has to deliver in a really spectacular way. And I don't think for for Dynamite, for your first show, it's... Like you, you've you've just to me you've you've got to have uh, an incredible ten minutes. I mean, I, I don't know if this was necessarily incredible, but I felt it delivered. You know, we've seen each of them have their confrontation with MJF. All the heat at this point has been put on MJF, and now we establish the grudges that each of them have with each other because we're going to go go to those individual matches. I thought they almost all of found pretty convincing reasons of why somebody would dislike somebody else. You know, especially. Uh, when you had the baby faces go after each other, Darby resenting Perry for being signed before he was while he was still living in his car. Perry calling Darby out because of, you know, his uh, failed dreams of being a skateboarder and professional wrestling being his backup plan. Um, and even Perry professing his respect for Sammy over Darby. I feel like these are things that um, wasn't he going to be a filmmaker and then he dropped out of school when they wanted him to change his. So this is maybe his third plan. He's probably going to be at a lot of things. Yeah, maybe maybe plan number three. So I mean, I mean, I, I thought thought they effectively like you know, but put in some shades of gray here, and um, I uh, effectively kind of drove interest in some of these individual matches. Of the three, Sammy has I think the best delivery of them all. Perry, yes, he's absolutely the least developed on the microphone of the four of them. Um, and I think that's no secret. He's kind of mentioned that himself on in his promo. Um, but he's shown improvement, and hopefully at some point he will get to the level of the others. Darby, to me, though, is to me probably the most complete and most marketable character of the three of them right now. So, uh, yeah, well, please uh, continue with the rest of the segment. Well, MJF comes out and the place goes nuts for him. And he comes out and just to solidify that they're not behind him, he insults Britt Baker. And he spoke with Tony Khan, and Tony Khan has come up with the Pillars Tournament. Tony Khan has come up with a tournament to decide who is going to be the challenger, double or nothing. So one of the three will get a bye, and that person is going to be Darby Allen, who he chooses from a hat. And instead, it will be Guevara against Jack Perry. And he teases that this is going to be at a future date, but instead, he cuts himself off and says, no, it's happening tonight playa and it is a very rare uh unannounced main event that Mm -hmm. is going to happen tonight with the winner facing darby next week in florida and then he tells mike mansuri to play his music and get out of here Mm -hmm. yeah unusual for AEW. maybe a bit of a last book last minute type of booking decision um i mean obviously tony khan could have just like went online could have tweeted out hey we're gonna have a tournament for the uh such and such and it's gonna all gonna culminate in double or, or nothing and by the way darby allen gets a buy he could have put all of, all of this into um 230 characters or however long a tweet is but hashtag they chose, AEW dynamite yeah they chose to do it on tv which i think is the better you know way to present it um it, timeline wise though you would you wouldn't necessarily expect them to uh, have to rush this because they've got so much time before the paper. Well, right? I, do, I don't think they are rushing it based on the finish here. And I think that everyone's still believing we're still getting to the four pillars match. How do you figure that though? Cause let's like, it's I, yeah, that that's the other uh, interesting part of this is, I mean, this whole time, I think 
I had initially thought, okay, we're going to get a one-on-one out of these few, but then they, they did such a great job of promoting a potential four-way that I think the audience really started to want the four-way. How can you possibly justify though, like um, results between two different matches to lead to a four-way? Well, I think given the, given the way Jack Perry loses the match uh, tonight, that it can get overruled and that he never was pinned and, I think ultimately that would not be the way that you would be just taking Jack Perry out of the equation. I mean, I I felt it's pretty solid that we're getting this four-way at the end. And I'd also say that to headline this pay-per-view, the four-way is stronger than any one of these individuals challenging MJF one-on-one. Yeah, I, I th- at this point, I think I agree. Um, so next week they're going to have to do some sort of screw, screwy finish as well. And then you're just going to have what, like an Adam Pierce come out and be like, Hey, uh, change of plans. This tournament were, uh, is meaningless. Uh, well, yeah, it does, it does require your authority figure of some sort. And maybe that is Tony Khan. Um, which again, I, I'm not crazy about that aspect either, but that to me is probably a necessity of, of that tool if you're going to overrule a match result. But how, how I guess, um, satisfying is it to just have a, an entire tournament that is basically meaningless at the end of all of this? Well, how did it feel to have a main event tonight that was kind of meaningless with a count-out finish that we never get? It wasn't of? meaningless, though. One person advanced. It did, but I think that that result, well, I why would you not just beat Jack Perry then? Why are you protecting Jack protect Perry? Jack if he's Perry? not being built up for a title match because he's one of your pillars, and you want something, and, and you want to build a heel. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm not even saying that this this entire story is is the best story, but um, I, I you know, I, I guess I guess my my question is: Are we still going to get the four way out of this, or could we possibly get a one on one? I'm saying the four way for sure. The idea of Guevara going to the pay per view and the drama is: Is he going to lay down for MJF? Well, I don't think it'll be Sammy. I think it would be Darby, if anybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you can't discount it. I just, I would still be going with the four-way at, at the at the end of this. What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments below. <laughs> Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker take on Ruby Soho and Tony Storm. Uh, Britt Baker comes out to a thunderous reaction. Her parents are in the front row, which Soraya is getting into their face and trying to tear the uh, terrible towel out. Dude, Britt Baker's mom had the grip of Danny Hodge here on this towel. Did you see Soraya trying to rip it out? And she was not going to let go of this towel. Probably limited edition. You know, I mean, where do you think the lockjaw comes from? Yeah, this was the the deadlock uh, that she had on on this grip. So Soraya is getting involved, uh, tripping up uh, Hater from from the floor. And then uh, Ruby stops Baker and hits an STO to her right in front of her parents. They're beating on Hater. Soho then yanks Baker off the apron, and it's just building and building to uh, Jamie Hayter making the tag to Baker, which happens after the break, and the place explodes when Baker comes in. There's a hip attack to Baker, and then a belt shot, followed by the Storm Zero for a big near fall as Baker kicks out. Then they attack Hayter's shoulder, running her into the steps, and a Panama Sunrise is hit to Soho for another big near fall. And then a curb stomp and the lockjaw by Baker submits Soho in nine minutes and 36 seconds. They're helping Jamie Hayter to the back and Baker goes after to assist Hayter uh, to the back. But a red hot crowd for this and built all around Baker. Really strong, feel good, hometown babyface victory. Great atmosphere. 
Great job by the outcasts, I thought, in, uh, you know, delivering their triple team offense, taunting the crowd, taunting the Baker family. And uh, yeah, just overall, another great homecoming in Pittsburgh for Baker that made both her and, and Jamie Hayter look great. Renee interviews Wardlow, who was asked about facing powerhouse Hobbs and how he's going to deal with QT Marshall, who cost Wardlow the title. Wardlow said that in the past he had a horseman in his corner and he has reached out to another horseman to be in his corner. And Arn Anderson walks in and everyone goes nuts. And he says that those guys breaking into your car, taking your passport, that's kid stuff. Do you want to take this to another level and wake some people up with stuff that the horsemen used to do? He says, Tully taught you checkers. Well, tonight we're going to play some chess. <sighs> and Arn, just another, just oh. tremendous, tremendous promo. God, like you hear this and you wonder like, well, where has Arn Anderson been for like the the past year? You know, well, however long he's been off of like a main program, he sounded great here. You know, this was like dialogue straight, like that sounded like it was out, out of a movie. I like the pairing a lot. You know, Wardlow clearly needs something, somebody to help him amplify his presence. He needs a bit of a refresher, a bit of a reboot of whatever he's got going on. And I think Arn is a perfect choice. You have the Tully connection, of course, but I mean, Arn Anderson, I think, is a much better fit even because uh, especially as a baby face, you know, you have Arn who's not being utilized at all, who could just I mean, one of the best talkers uh, in the company, I'm sure, if if he could be utilized. I The pairing with Cody, I think, was not like it was kind of a waste of Arn. But Warlow is a guy who needs a mouthpiece. And so I'm hoping we see plenty of uh, Arn and his Glock in the weeks to come. Yes, we we would we would get a Glock appearance later. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Elite come out. Kenny says these have been some of the hardest weeks due to the BCC. And he's got these images burned in his brain of the screwdriver in the top turnbuckle that he wished he could have plunged into John Moxley's face. And they call out the BCC. They want to squash the beef. And Brian Danielson appears on the screen and explains how, how do you guys get interview time and have nothing to say? I'll tell you, you're amateurs. And this is all a ploy to distract the elite as the BCC jumped them from behind. And we have a big brawl all around the ring, including Matt Jackson with his partially torn biceps, delivering the Northern Lights to Yuta in succession on the floor. We've got uh, a bulldog choke by Moxley and then Omega jerseys Moxley. Yuta then takes the chair to Matt's injured arm, attacking it. Nick is trying to save him and Castagnoli hits him with a gut wrench bomb and then a death rider to Omega. Uh, is is hit Danielson then comes out calls them amateurs except for Omega who he thought would be a professional 
and Don Callis makes his return, coming out with a chair. He spots the BCC, turns around, runs to the back. And Danielson says that Omega had more potential than anyone, but doesn't live up to it and therefore needs to be gone. He pulls out the screwdriver and the best catchphrase in pro wrestling at the moment. This house needs to be fixed as he holds up the screwdriver and is about to do a renovation on Kenny Omega's face. When Callus brings out Kanosuke Takeshita to save Omega, clears the ring, hits a blue thunderbomb to Yuta, and the elite stand tall after this lengthy segment. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought this was a great segment. You know, finally paid off the Takeshita Callus program, creating, I think, a really wonderful scenario to justify Takeshita's inclusion now into the elite and presumably either blood and guts or anarchy in the arena. Um, the way Callus seemed to play it off by the end still kind of left his allegiances very much in doubt. Like he was still up to something with all, all of this. And at this point, maybe you kind of wonder what that is. You know, is he simply wanting to remove Kenny from the elite so that he could pair him with, with the Takeshita? Is there still a turn yet to come with, um, with Callus turning on Kenny? Don't know. Um, so that mystery is still there. And I think this BCC elite feud is heating up really nicely because this beatdown was nice and nice and violent, you know. So it's it's definitely getting in, me in the mood for some of those matches. I'm really enjoying Danielson in the, in this role. Mm-hmm. I, think. I love that he is the one that doesn't get his hands dirty. He is the one that is just like the the overseer of the BCC. It's almost yeah. as though like he's also absorbed the regal role, but in a more yeah. prominent like oversight where it's it's like his. You know, he he lets the 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 other guys be the ones that you know go out and do all the dirty work, and he's just there to kind of be the the guy that gloats and and he's the best guy in in the faction for that role. I mean, Mox is a great promo, but I think Mox might be even more effective just being like this sort of like silent killer who's just like you know like 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 a Rottweiler. You know, the owner sets on on on, on you know the, the 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 trespassers on the on the lawn, so. Wow. When do you think they'll announce? What are we getting first? Anarchy in, in the arena or blood and guts? What, what comes first? I think we're going to get anarchy in the arena for this one. I think this one is double or nothing. And whether you come back with a blood and guts or that's reserved for another program, I think right. that just the way this one was set up where it's all over the arena and such. Mm-hmm. And I think that you, you want to end this too in a real like someone's taking that screwdriver at, at the end of this. Like oh, Jesus, a screwdriver in the skull <laughs> or in the chest. Someone's getting it. Uh, yeah. A screwdriver plunged in their face. So and what it probably we should be Danielson. So we got five people now on the elite side, right? Including page. Oh, Matt might, might be out, I guess. Depending on, I mean, Jesus, he was doing a lot more than I would have been like, he's got a partial tear and I'm watching this. I'm like, does this guy have a wish for a full tear? I was he took yeah. a cat. He was t- you to put him in a cattle mutilation. That's yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. Anyway. So 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 does BCC need some somebody else now? If Takeshi is part of the elite. Well, yeah. If you if you're adding Hangman onto onto the elite side, they would need mm. uh, an extra recruit of some sort. Which you mm. could find someone in there. Kota Ibushi. Well, he was uh, you know Bloodsport alumni. Maybe Moxley recruited him at a. A couple of weeks ago, Mm. he's had a secret deal going on. Powerhouse Hobbs against Wardlow for the TNT Championship. I love this. At the beginning, they show a clip from March 31st, 2021 of QT Marshall decking Arn Anderson, which was the start 
of the factory being formed. And all of a sudden, we have a story, a two-year story um, that has not been referenced since probably uh, April the 6th of 2021. And uh, we're going to pay it off tonight. I wonder like, if they have somebody in the back who's just like, um, hey, we have these two people involved in the segment tonight. What can you dig up from their history that you can, you know, we could use? That person might be Tony, actually. You know, he's probably <laughs> the one checking all the records and everything. And then on as Hobbs is walking to the ring in the inset, they show highlights of every one of his title defenses as well. And I yeah. like that aspect too. Like just yeah. putting more emphasis on past matches as well. So they get started here and it's just a, a, a big man brawl. They're fighting into the crowd. They go through a break where Hobbs takes over, but Wardlow comes back with a swan dive on the top off the top. They have a clothesline battle and Wardlow gets him down and hits a bunch of Germans Harley Cameron gets onto the apron and she's trying to distract Arn gets up and then behind the ref's back, it's a QT cutter onto Wardlow followed by a spine buster, but Wardlow kicks out and QT is pissed. He argues with the ref. So Arn enters and the place comes unglued and he reaches into his jacket and pulls out the invisible Glock onto QT. And this place goes wild. QT is Frightened, he backs up the stage where all of a sudden Penta appears, super kicks QT, who rolls back into the ring and takes a DDT from Arn. And again, the place goes wild. Wardlow hits a powerbomb, second powerbomb, and then a third pinning Hobbs in nine minutes and 12 seconds. And I would say a semi-surprising title change, but the way that Arn got involved, I was like, man, you cannot uh, have Hobbs uh, skirt away with, with the title after you've done all of this. So, I mean, this is the title that bounces around at the highest frequency mm-hmm. and it's, it's back on Wardlow, who is now all of a sudden a three time TNT champion. Yeah. Well, isn't Sammy now, uh, didn't he say he was a three time as well? They're both three time champions. Wow. I'm surprised you have so many three time champions. Um, I, prior to the match, I, I, I don't know if I would have um, expected Wardlow to win the championship again. But having Wardlow attached with Arn Anderson, I think completely refreshes him. And I certainly see more upside with Wardlow and Arn Anderson together than unfortunately Hobbs with QT Marshall and QTV. I mean, I was really excited about the Q, the, the Hobbs run, but I, I think this Q, QTV thing has been not great. The fact that he's just pretty pretty much like had all of his defenses on Rampage I don't think has given him maybe like the, the biggest spotlight. Um, but Hey, like maybe he, hopefully they don't lose sight of him and that he, he moves on to something bigger outside of Kiev TV. Um, but I don't know if that's the case. He's probably Penta, I guess maybe right now with, with Hobbs potentially. So match I thought was just okay. You know, a lot of heavyweight brawling, but really accentuated by a really nice crowd reaction to Wardlow who they explained had a long independent wrestling history with um, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And they they originally said it was like his hometown, but then they more so explained that, you know, he's from Ohio, but like his independent career very much that he had a big presence in in Pittsburgh. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, our stuff was wonderful. Well, that was it. This match was so fun because the crowd was so hot for Arn and it was a reaction that quite frankly, like Wardlow needed a, reception like this and a big win for him on top of it and it looks like it like moving on to luchasaurus who came out with christian and they just stared them down so you could get some great promo segments with arn and christian as well Hmm. all right let's see 
Renee is with Sammy Guevara. Renee did about a thousand interviews on this show and MJF walks in. Guevara explains they're not friends. So what do you want? And MJF explains, we got off on the wrong foot in the inner circle. He offers Guevara a guaranteed spot at double or nothing, but he has to lay down. And Guevara just has no interest in this and turns him down and says, I'm going to beat Jack Perry. I'm going to beat Darby. And then I'm beating you for the title. And MJF brings up how the odds are against him. And he will guarantee him a spot at the pay-per-view while also giving him a blank check. So Sammy Guevara writes down his price and MJF is blown away by whatever he wrote on it, but they agree and they don't just shake on it. They hug on it and therefore they have an alliance. Yes. Yes. So um, he's going to pay him to lose at the pay-per-view and he's going to help him get to the finals. So, I mean, it's a, it's a move that firmly puts, Sammy back into the heel side of things after, um, you know, maybe glimpses of like a baby face side of Sammy Guevara, even to the point where you might feel a bit of sympathy for him for things that he said. Um, but this firmly put, plants him back on the heel side. I don't like any sort of like um, paying off or contracts like types of things in my professional wrestling. For me, it, it just turns it all into. I thought you love contract drama. <laughs> I think it just all makes it a, a bit much of a cartoon and, and takes takes away from what I think, especially on the main, AEW main event scene, should be more so presented as like a realistic sporting type of, um, I, I don't know, product. Um, but it gives you a storyline, gives you a clear baby face and a heel to cheer for in, in these upcoming matches. Yeah, I've we're not at the, like the uh, the culmination of this story yet to set up the pay-per-view, but I've really been enjoying the the way they've built them up, the the way they've just been winning their matches. They their segments have been strong. Mm-hmm. Tonight was a big detour for me on this. I th- this it just felt so counter to what they have been building. But again, you also have 6 weeks to go and I guess the idea to play this out over a couple of weeks before you get to whatever the destination is going to be. Commander against Jay White, who's got Juice Robinson in his corner. Bullet Club Gold represented here in Pittsburgh. And Sean Spears is sitting in the crowd and giving scores as the moves are hit. So we are right right back to uh, 2015 NXT. It's something, you know. It it literally is something, yeah. (laughs) Hey, man, if it gets him on TV, like the man hasn't been on TV in a very long time. So, well... Uh, Commander was out here just doing a million things. He did this springboard with a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, spinning off the rope, does multiple jumps into a Rana, and this crowd is just insane here, uh, getting behind him. Then we see a moonsault. Commander lands on his feet on the floor and gets dumped onto the edge. And during the break, White is delivering chops, and Spears holds up a four, then a six. And Commander then super kicks him to the floor and does the rope walk into the twisting dive. Spears gives that a 10. And then a rope walk shooting star, but it's a delayed cover. And they're trying to explain he landed on the knees and then a springboard Phoenix splash for another two count. The Blade Runner gets blocked and then it's Commander on his back, hyperextending the arm, which is turned into a sleeper suplex with Jay following with the Blade Runner to win in 10 minutes and 45 seconds. Spears gives this performance by Jay White a five, but Tony Khan gave it a 10 because afterwards he announced that Commander is all elite. Oh, interesting. Wow. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Did you know so, he's he's off the uh, Demand Lucha show next week? They said it's a travel issue. 
uh, next week, which interesting. Um, so he's done with Triple A, like, or I mean, I guess you can go back and forth, right? Well, he was he was with a smaller group in in Mexico, and I I don't know like how the whole deal worked, but it was um like a, a smaller company in in Mexico. But yeah, he's going to have a pretty significant presence now. Well, he certainly earned it, you know, over over these past few weeks. So congratulations to him. The match itself was kind of interesting. Like this was an interesting, totally first- different styles. Yeah. Yeah, interesting first match for Jay White because I don't know the last time I, I I I don't know if I've ever seen Jay White work like a, a luchador, you know, uh, at least of, of this sort of like purely lucha level, like a commander. And um, it, it was like it wasn't a spectacular match. Like it was, it was from Commander's um offense, but I think Jay White is like the most anti sort of like spectacular wrestler ever, and I don't mean that as a you know, insult. Like, I think he's great because he's very grounded. And I think his style is a lot more like psychological um, and not necessarily as like immediately fan friendly as, you know, like a commander would be. So the result was like, I think a more realistic Lucha style. Um, but, you know, coming out of the match, I, I can't really say like this was a, what, what about you, John? I'm curious. What did you think of, of the match? Was it one that uh, by the end you were, you would I, I thought I thought it was a great showcase of, of commander. I thought that Jay White, um, he came out and I think this Bullet Club Gold story or this gimmick is just I just think it's such an albatross to be Bullet Club related at this point. But man, Jay White came out. He had a lot of presence about mm-hmm. him. And I thought he really stood out here as pretty much playing commander's base. And I do feel like this guy could be. Like the the whole appeal of Jay White was just you know figuring out all of these ways towards the Blade Runner, and it's a very effective way to structure a match. But it's going to depend on your audience kind of gravitating towards that. So I enjoyed this. I wouldn't say it was like a blow away great match, but I thought overall both guys had a really nice showing in all of this. And you do have a program moving forward with Jay White. It's Commander that I hope is not one that. It's sort of like the the fancy new toy, and then he signed, and then is a guy that you you see here and there, or it's like a de-emphasize. I, I, I feel we bad. Say, we say this every one. every time. Well, that's we it. This- it's like you don't want another action Andretti. Yeah, uh, or Drillistico, or uh, you know, uh, like just just name them, John. Like that, it's inevitable. Okay, unless the guy can like. Um, well, it, it shouldn't be happening when we, we could very well be in a space where Sunday is the only day they're not putting out a show. Like we should have time for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I certainly hope the best. Um, it, it was an interesting choice. Like, I, I, I'm not sold on on like using Jay White this way. Like, this is very firmly a mid card like role for him. You know, being involved with, um, uh like a juice Robinson and Ricky starts who's on the ascent, but like, I, I, I would say Jay white has enough cachet that he can move in higher. Ricky starts was on the ascent, but man, he got de-emphasized mm-hmm. like since that it's been uh, over a month since the, the Jericho match at the pay-per-view. And yeah. what has he done in the last six weeks? And that's a lifetime in this company. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you know, having Sean Spears attached to this, again, like, I think the wrestling could be fine. But really, with Sean Spears, you're talking about somebody who's really kind of starting from the bottom again. And and is that really where you want to insert and introduce somebody like a, like a Jay White, who, again, doesn't have the most, like, fan-friendly, immediate style, but is a wonderful main event player, especially on the microphone, especially, like, when he's in there in these long 30-minute matches against, you know, guys um, studying their counters to their finishes and everything. Is this the best feud for him? Hey man, let's let's see how how this uh, how how it continues. I guess. Well, Juice attacks Sean Spears, who is sit- sitting in the front row, and Jay White joins in. So it's two on one. When Ricky starts, runs down, spearing Juice, but Jay White bails, and they're uh, going up the the ramp. So those are sort of your directions here. Ricky checking on uh, Sean Spears as well as a uh, commander. Renee interviews FTR, but before she can interview him or th- the two of them. She alerts them to an attack from earlier in the day where we see the the varsity athletes and the makeup of the Trustbusters, whatever the latest iteration. It's of the them varsity are. athletes plus Slim J, I guess. Because like, off the tongue. Oh, because this what is it? Is uh, what's well, weren't Ari Ari and Slim J were Trustbusters, right? But Ari somehow joined the varsity club. Yeah, varsity athletes. <laughs> Whatever. They were attacking Mark Briscoe. So FTR, um, they had like uh, mental telepathy here. They knew exactly where Mark Briscoe was. They run to a no, room. No, no, no. Renee pointed, the, pointed out the room. They just happened to be right across, doing the interview right across from the room. Okay. So he's being checked on. And Jarrett, Lethal, Dutt, and Sutnam Singh are already there. And they're already checking on him. So Mark says he's ready to go. And both sides are arguing who is going to get revenge. And Briscoe decides, I want you to, referring to Dax and Cash, to team with Jeff and RPM and go after my assailants. And that is what we are going to get on Rampage. So <laughs> we did this weird eight-man last time on Rampage, and they're going to do it again this week with sort of this odd like, uh, like partners that don't quite function having to work together can they get along let's find out i think this is this is one that's interesting i mean you know these are like the at least in story the people that are closest to mark briscoe you uh between jay Le- <laughs> jay lethal we had, we had rpm and swag d here <laughs> that's it i know True with the, with the mastermind behind it all and jeff jarrett <laughs> that's it yeah uh with ftr so i uh, yeah let's let's see how this turns out i think mark briscoe like his Charisma is just incredible, even in a little segment like this. Just how is know. he not human cyclone? <laughs> Mark Briscoe, <laughs> the Briscoe brothers. What car would they be? <laughs> What's racing style would they would they be? Probably a pickup. Yeah, pickup. Okay. Chris Jericho and Adam Cole come out, and Adam Cole's mother is in the front row. So was, uh, the parents were getting some nice comps at this show. Cole says he studied and idolized Jericho. Even his catchphrase was inspired by Jericho. Read Jericho's first book when he was in high school and wants to be just like, or wanted to be just like Chris Jericho. So he respects Chris Jericho a lot. Jericho thinks for a minute and tells Cole, well, I have absolutely zero respect for you. You're an arrogant SOB. You interrupted my celebration. Cole comes back and calls him a jag off and the crowd starts chanting this 
And Cole asks, who is the real Chris Jericho? The egomaniac that uses the JAS to win all his matches? Or the GOAT, one of the best to ever do it? I think the real Chris Jericho is an insecure, fickle, stupid idiot who's also rude. (laughs) Jericho says, I am not a jagoff. So we will be getting merchandise and probably a trademark within hours. Is this? It's a Pittsburgh thing, right? Uh, is off. it a Pittsburgh thing? I, I mean, I've, I've heard that term. Uh, chiefly many. used in Western Pennsylvania, a stupid, irritating, or contemptible person. Why is that so specific to Pittsburgh? I'm not sure. I think it's a sports thing, probably. Okay. Well, Cole doesn't. Uh, Cole does not impress Jericho. He says, and Cole. You shouldn't want to meet your hero or idol. Just walk away right now. Leave the ring that I've built. And they end up getting into a brawl. Cole's got the advantage when Daniel Garcia runs in. They're double teaming Cole. When Britt Baker runs down, yanking Jericho off of Cole, and he, and she slaps him. But then the outcasts appear from underneath the ring. Or I guess they've been since the opening match. Just hanging out I guess there. guess so. And they attack Baker. And this is all explained as a Jericho setup. Yeah. Told them to hide underneath the ring, I guess. Can you imagine this? Okay. Let's say you were in the opening match and I came to you and said, hey, I'm going to uh, insult. I'm going to insult someone that you're feuding with. And I'm so positive that that person's girlfriend is going to run down and try to save him. And just trust me. So stay under the ring for like an hour because I know this is going to happen. Here's a deck of cards. Man, a lot of things have to fall in place for this to happen. That's kind of true, yeah. Like Like if Brickmaker ever came to Adam Cole's aid in any other instance over this last uh, two years? Yeah, I don't think so. But tonight was the night Jericho was ready for. What if Keith Lee showed up here? What were the outcasts going to do? Then they'd be like, whoa, we weren't ready for this. This is Adam Cole's best friend, Keith Lee. <laughs> I would have been much more worried about Keith Lee. Huh. So uh, they Baker gets attacked by the outcast, and they handcuffed Adam Cole to the bottom rope, and Garcia hands off a kendo stick to Jericho. Cole dares him, hit me with the kendo stick. But instead, Jericho hands it off to Soraya, who starts beating Britt Baker with the stick. And we've got Cole yelling, Brit and Baker's yelling, Austin, and they're screaming and screaming. Austin. And then, yeah, because this is real. Yeah, this is real. This was. She planned. actually said Austin. You're oh yeah, listening. she yelled oh, Austin. God. Oh my god. Okay. All right. And great. Cole's. I'm so sorry. I apologize. And the whole crowd starts chanting, "Piece of shit, piece of shit." And uh, this was uh, our big hometown beat down mm-hmm. what did you think of this segment way it's very dramatic i didn't really like it john um i think the like the tommy dreamer like you know handcuff type of thing is is kind of cliche at this point so if you're gonna do it it better be pretty damn good you know um i think outside of the swerve where um uh, instead of you know jericho attacking cole it became the outcast attacking brit i thought that was well done but man, outside of it, I I didn't think it was nearly as well executed as like some of the other instances we've seen of uh, of, of this sort of angle in the past. Predominantly, Sammy and the Bloodline with Kevin Owens. That was not that long ago when when they did it, and I thought 
in comparison, the blocking and the pacing of this one could have been a whole lot better. The director missed the most significant moment here where Jericho handed the kendo stick to Soraya. Um, that to me was like, you know, one of the key sort of uh, moments here. That's the whole plan clicking of this is yeah. like, this is the old, uh, the, the, the mafia code that we don't, we don't come for you. We come for your loved ones. Sure. Yeah. Um, I thought at times the mics were unfortunately a little too hot in moments. So you could hear Jericho tell Austin, hit me, hit me, hit me. Um, I also thought the trash talking between Cole and Jericho also felt a little bit generic to me without any real basis of rivalry. We had Cole establish that he has tremendous respect for Jericho, but nothing really from Jericho to suggest that he would actually have this level of hatred for an Adam Cole beyond you came out and what checked on Keith Lee. (laughs) Like what, how am I supposed to son of a bitch? Like, what am I supposed to take from that? Why am I supposed to believe that you dislike this person that much for, because he checked on Keith Lee. Right. Um, and for that for that level of like pretty cold trash talk to just suddenly escalate to blows felt very much to me like they were just fighting each other because this was like a wrestling show. Um I I, I thought the outcast and Baker benefited greatly from like having this sort of like high profile in I, I like the mini alliance that you had and it totally made sense. Like they have common enemies and a, a goal here. I did during the actual attack part. I thought Jericho played it really well. And you can't deny that this crowd, I mean, they ate this up. I mean, it was the most desired reaction, but I thought like some of the acting, um, like it, it was, it was a little, like it was a lot over the top from like Cole. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think he's, I don't think he's a very good baby face. Like at least he's, he's still working on it. Um, and that's part of the reason why I felt like it was so cliche. It's like, oh, we're going to have the boyfriend, you know, like um, be really concerned and he's going to have to act like he's really concerned. And just to suddenly like get into that mode. I just was not convinced. Hmm. And, I, 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 and let me know if you guys felt differently. Yeah, I I think especially on all access, I think this guy is an incredibly uh, like likable individual. I think it's just tough when you put him in a, in a role like this. Um, uh, but, but we'll see like what the, uh, I do think that, yeah, this is one that uh, we, we still have a long time until the pay-per-view, but I would kind of like to have it more fleshed out. Like this is, you know, Brock attacking Cody and we're still waiting to piece that reasoning together. Right. The firm deletion is coming up but matt is not going to reveal the date you've got to keep your phone charged to find out when it's happening i hope it's just a tweet that it's happening in an hour on youtube and jeff hardy is going to address the aew audience on rampage this saturday night right so i'm very curious if this is jeff talking about his whole arrest last year or if this is just going to be uh another you know hmm. basically i don't know I'm not sure it's, you're sort of led to believe that i mean addressing the aw audience i mean what what else would you be addressing them over so these are tapings right they, they taped it tonight for saturday so i guess we'll find out soon well we could uh we, we could always check unless it's one of those like you know backstage segments i would i would think it'd be in front of the crowd but maybe we'll find out uh, Cole is helping Baker to the back, and then it's Jake Hager, Matt Menard, and Angela Parker against the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Uh, Max raps about a uh, Bud Light with uh, everything going on this week. Draymond Green, terrible towels. What's, what's going on with Bud Light? They were uh, 
it's it's a long story. So they were doing a a campaign um, with a. They were. I, I'm trying to remember. Like there, there's various companies because Jack Daniels was involved in this. Essentially, they were uh, using like a transgendered spokesperson or something like that. I haven't seen like what exactly the ad was, but this okay. got uh, people boycotting Bud Light and uh, Jack Daniels. Okay, because they had a trans transgender. Why don't you look the Why don't you look this up for the? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just reading it. headlines. Um, I don't want to misrepresent mis- it, but all right, you got to be up to speed on all of this when you're listening to a Max Caster rap. Hmm. So the stipulation is: if the acclaimed and Billy Gunn lose, then they have to join the JAS until double or nothing, and will not be able to scissor during that time. So big stakes here. At one point. Billy Gunn gets tagged and the place goes nuts. And Shabani just says, look at the size of Billy Gunn. Yeah, he's he's big compared to this roster. Yeah. He's also 59. Yes. Parker lays well, out. You get, you get bigger as you age, John. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. This is works. my goal for 59. Yeah. So Angelo Parker lays out. Anthony Bowens with an object and the announcers are trying to figure out what was that and they determine it's a loaded comb (laughs) not just a comb a loaded comb he took out the body of this comb and put a a substance into this comb and hit him with a loaded comb do we just add loaded to any object and it suddenly becomes um you know loaded envelope (laughs) It's a loaded, you know, avocado. <laughs> like, this is one of the stupidest weapons I've. I've this ever is the seen stupidest weapon. This is up there. A fucking loaded comb. Like, then he misses and hits Jake Hager by mistake with the loaded comb, <laughs> and then Billy Gunn takes the loaded comb and he breaks the loaded comb as Angelo <sighs> Parker is empty. Which is the opposite of the loaded comb. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I know yeah. that, like, I, I always thought it was a. Can I just end this like, arrival mic said. drop in 618 and it ended? <laughs> like, I know Parker, like, pulls out the comb all the time. I, I think you, like, you could stab somebody with it. Like, that I would believe, but I don't, I don't know why you'd need to, you know, necessarily call it a loaded comb. Do you know, um, I, I, I had one of these when I was a kid. We went to, you remember uh, Black Creek Pioneer Village? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I went there when I was like eight or nine for a school trip and I went to the gift shop and they had these combs that you could press the button and it whips open. And so I took it to school the next day. It was confiscated because I was told that this is it looks like a switchblade. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a switchblade. It's a comb. It's a loaded comb. <laughs> and they said no. The only place you can have a switchblade and a comb is on the April 19th edition of Dynamite. Jeez. Wow. No other time. But yeah, they took this thing away from me. I mean, it looks threatening, doesn't it? It, is. it looks like a switchblade. It is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. So, no, this is a, I thought this was stupid. And I think this entire feud is a waste of the acclaim's time. Um, ugh, just dumb stipulations and. It's sort of their thing. It's like the part of the show that everyone wants to have. And it's just. Finding ways to work what, them in. What do you mean? Like what? Just the, the rap and just the whole, like the scissoring? People want to see scissoring. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like this is, 
I think that the acclaimed are a huge part of the AEW live experience that everyone right. wants, and it's just finding ways to put them on the show. Um, I, I just wish like there were meaningful feuds, you know, and meaningful ri- rivalries and serious rivalries that we could start putting the acclaimed in. Um, I, th- and this just wasn't really working for me, and I thought the weapon was the dumbest thing ever. Saturday's Rampage, it has Vikingo against Dralistico. FTR, Jeff Jarrett, and RPM against Josh Woods, Tony Nese, Ari Davari, and Slim J. Kiera Hogan against Julia Hart. So after all these years, we are finally gaining the singles match. It's Hogan versus Hart. <laughs> wow, huge. Huge. John Moxley against Christopher Daniels. Jade Cargill will speak. And the Hardys will speak with Hook and Cassidy. A lot mm-hmm. of speaking. As is uh, usually the case. In Do you know one days. of the segments tonight was... FTR speaks. Yes. And they end up not speaking. Well, because they got caught up with um, Mark Briscoe. I mean, words did come out of their mouth. Technically, yeah. Yeah. We did hear from them. Yeah. And next Wednesday, it will be Darby Allen against the winner of the main event. And they're doing Jade Cargill and Taya Valkyrie for the TBS title. Mm-hmm. Could be a big, uh, big month for. The husband and wife after John uh, Hennigan won his boxing debut this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge. Was it uh, content something? I don't know. Content, like, what, like content creators boxing? Two, something like that. It was just a bunch of influencers and content creators and John Hennigan having fights. Hmm. Sammy Guevara and Jack Perry is the main event. Um, they, they did some insane stuff in this match. So they're battling on the edge of the apron. Uh, MJF is watching in the back. Darby is in the rafters. There is a one-man Spanish fly by Sammy Guevara off the apron to the floor. They fight in the crowd during the break. And then Jungle Boy hits an apron bomb. And then a Canadian destroyer off the top to Sammy Guevara. Then Guevara lifts up Perry and rotates him. And he drops him straight down. This was like, this was like a shoot brain buster. And Perry just comes straight down. And Taz mm-hmm. is freaking out. He doesn't know how Jack Perry is moving after this. This looks scary as hell. It did, yeah. Pretty high angle. But, I mean, one of those that probably looked worse than hopefully it felt because he wrestled like normal completely after. He tries for the GTH. It's countered into a Poison Rana. Guevara hits his own Poison Rana. And the crowd is applauding both men as they're down. Guevara gets to the rope out of the snare trap. And then there's a leaping drop kick by Guevara to Jungle Boy, who is on the turnbuckle. And Jack Perry leaps off the turnbuckle, crashes to the timekeeper's table, and pretty much just like lands near the edge of it. So this doesn't break, but this looked like the nastiest fall as he landed on this thing. Mm-hmm. And the count starts. Guevara is trying to get the count out victory. And then as he's getting up there, Jack Perry is starting to get to his feet and Guevara grabs the referee. And with the referee's back turned, MJF appears and nails Perry with the dynamite diamond ring and Jack Perry is counted out in 11 minutes and 39 seconds. The show ends with MJF and Guevara celebrating together. Darby Allen shakes his head, and it is Sammy Guevara against Darby Allen next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, very physically impressive match. When they announced that this was like the first meeting between these two, I was really surprised. But uh, I think as you know, uh, fl- high flying and as flashy as you would expect out of these two. Um, I will say like the bar is set so high right now for this style of match that um, I 
man, like if this took place in the first year of AEW, I wondered if like it would be more rem- remembered. But as it exists, I, I don't know if it'll really be all that remembered beyond this week, but it was a very good match. Um, I don't love this sort of, um, you know, gimmickry with, with the, the MJF cheating stuff, but it almost like really telegraphs a Darby win, but you know, maybe they're, they'll use it as an excuse to get to the, the four way. Yeah, this was a dynamite that I, it was a very good main event. I was, I was frightened at some of the spots in, in this match. Like I feel um, like we're, we're really just like pushing it and pushing it and, you know, we're, we're we're just days removed from hearing, you know, Will Ospreay, who was this guy that was, the, you know, in this spot. And here's a guy at 29 that's already starting to feel like the the impact of those establishing years of his career. But it's, you know, these guys are all gearing up for what is pretty much the biggest push of their careers at this point in AEW. And this is mm-hmm. sort of the standard now of, of, a, of a main event. The show for me was it certainly did not uh, click as, as a whole. I felt like there was a lot of angle stuff that I wasn't so much into in the in the show, but it was an incredible crowd that um, was a highlight. They brought up a lot of the stuff, the arm stuff with Wardlow. I think that worked really well, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought of those two as a pairing that would work, but I look forward to them exploring that as well with uh with Wardlow that he has been missing something and hopefully that something is an Arn Anderson having a mouthpiece because those two can work very well together agreed yeah I thought that was a real plus for me seeing that pairing I also really liked the way that they introduced Takeshita into this BCC versus elite feed which continues to feel very serious and like very 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 strong so um that that is probably the hottest program I will say going into double or nothing above the main event where um you know, like I'm, I'm curious to see where where it ends up. Again, they've been teasing four way, and it might actually whittle down to a one on one match, um, or maybe not. Let's see. I didn't love a lot of the you know stuff that they were doing with um, uh, paying each other off and, and all that stuff, but we'll see how it plays out. I did not like the cold Jericho face to face a whole lot either, but it got a great reaction live, so maybe that's all that matters. All right, we turn the show over to you with your feedback and thoughts. If you want to get in a super chat, you're welcome to do so before we get out of here. And let's go to Tim from Los Angeles. Tonight's Dynamite had a hot crowd. I personally dislike the idea of another tournament, even if it's with the Pillars. I would much rather see a four-way between them. Jungle Boy, Darby, and Sammy have all proven to be worthy of a title shot with the crowd. Being most behind Darby, I can definitely see him holding the championship within the next two years. Having Jungle Boy getting screwed in his match with Sammy could mean that Darby gets screwed next week, and then we get the announcement that MJF will be defending the championship against all three pillars after the match next week or the following. I definitely feel like Callis and Takeshita are going to turn on the Elite and possibly end up with the BCC. I feel like a Spears-Jay White feud could be red hot. Commander had another great showing, especially with someone in Jay White whose style is completely different from his and Commander's... uh, it was a smart idea to have the JAS and Outcast join forces, but makes you wonder where Keith Lee and Jamie Hayter were during the beatdown. Um, I I don't know. Maybe they'll explain it. Um, maybe he wasn't there. Maybe Keith Lee and Jamie Hayter were um, getting a sneak preview of next week's All Access, and they were watching in the back. Possibly, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know if I see Takeshita turning on Callus. Um, 
Sorry, sorry. I don't know if I see Takeshi to turning on the elite. I I could see Takeshi to turning on Callus and somehow Callus, you know, being sort of the the guy manipulating everybody, but ultimately ending with nobody coming out of this. Mm. There, there's there are a bunch of interesting directions where you can go with that. Let's go to our super chat. Who says uh, from Jake? Who sends two dollars to say go Oilers go? All right, are they doing well? No clue. Thanks, Jake. Let's go to Brian, who sends $5 to say congrats on the CN Tower Climb. Do you think Jericho ever accidentally poked himself with his spiky jacket? Um, Hopefully not. I don't think that it's that easy to poke yourself. Would you rather get hit with a spike off his jacket or a comb? <laughs> uh, I'll take the jacket because it's far less stupid. Let's continue on with uh, Chris from South Bend. Uh, I thought the opening. Okay, this is, uh, I think, an entire recap of the show. Um, So I am going to condense this. I thought the opening segment was very effective and got across the begrudging respect shared among the three men while accentuating their mutual intense dislike for one another. The swerve that we are apparently getting a one-on-one bout at Double or Nothing was interesting, and I personally prefer the small tournament to a four-way featuring all of the parties involved. I'm personally pulling for a Darby MJF encounter as much like way I thoroughly enjoyed their opening match several years ago. goes on to say here um overall i thought tonight's dynamite was a very strong outing i enjoyed it thoroughly thanks for reading all right let's go up next to um uh jordan from the bronx who says the tnt title doesn't have any consistency hearing excalibur say that wardlow's previous two runs in last in the last year were five months and three days long helped highlight a frustrating title now hobbs drops it in five weeks back to wardlow just to immediately start a feud with luchasaurus as a hobbs fan i was looking forward to him having a long run as a dominant champion but from the way he won it to the goofy qtv stuff it's a disappointing run as for the match itself, they had a really fun mean guy match. They have good chemistry for two guys with a similar style and experience. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think Cobbs goes after this, John? Luch, uh, Penta, I guess, you know, is what they were teasing with the QT. Yeah. I mean, that's like the holdover that th- those were two of his d- defenses that he had. So you could do something with the, the Lucha brothers, whether it's Hobbs uh, joining off with another member of like, QTV or doing something. I certainly see Hobbs having um, still a lot of upside. I, I mean, I look at the TNT title and a lot of like the secondary titles that the idea that you're going to have these, these long reigning champions. I mean, it's, it, it can work, but you also have so many of these figures that we're talking about. Like, how are you going to get focus on people? And one of those ways is, you know, flipping these belts around at, at times. So um yeah, uh, the follow-up is always key, and there's we have seen that like this is a cycle where sometimes you are featured and then you become, you know, background for for several months, and that's going to happen in in this company, and it could happen to Hobbs. It's possible. He also says heel interference making the refs look incompetent has worn thin with me. At this point, heels can only win with interference, and if it doesn't work, they lose. Swerve last week, Hobbs this week, and the Outcast every week. Sammy in the main event. It's brutal. I'd love for some heels to get quality wins without the need for help. Or at the very least, limit the interference throughout the show. Listen, I, I think the the handling of the refs is a big sore spot on this show. It's very relied upon way too much of the, you know, the stuff behind the refs back or even not behind the refs back. It's a constant that they could get so much more if you keep it to 
limited amounts as opposed to being a regular occurrence that you are almost expecting that I think most are. Mm -hmm. Next, we go to Steve Grows Weed. I wasn't happy that Ruby Soho had turned heel originally. I take all that back. She's been on Dynamite every week in the top women's storyline. Instead of working dark, they had one of the best women's matches I've seen on Dynamite, plus a part in the Jericho segment. Huge boost to her career. Smart move. And it's his big day tomorrow, he notes. All right, let's go to uh, Zubin, who says, still so happy to be able to leave feedback to a dynamite. I'm just or so happy to be able to leave feedback. Okay, I've just recently reclaimed my Wednesdays, having completed my grad diploma last week. Well, congratulations to congratulations. you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Anyway, entertaining show tonight. The BCC Elite segment perhaps being one of my favorites of the year. Danielson's smug heel work right now is some of my favorite in the business. I was stoked to see Takeshita getting something more substantial than a killer TV match. Thanks, as always, for the great coverage, and congrats on the climb this weekend. We go to Muggin. Making three of the four pillars face one another to get a world title shot reeks of every other feud MGF has had to date. I would like to think a four-way is the end goal for double or nothing, but tonight's main event finish between Perry and Guevara does muddy the waters somewhat. The TNT title's booking continues to feel lackluster. It was nice to see Wardlow and Arn join forces. I hope the third go-around will be an earnest attempt of stability. Takeshita joining the elite side in their feud with BCC is smart. Takeshita needs more wins. And finally, we got a Derek from Calgary who says, I'd love Takeshita joining the elite side. The stuff with Cole and Jericho was great. Keith, where were you, brother? Great to see they've got Wardlow with a mouthpiece. Arn is a great choice. I wonder where Hobbs will go now. I had such high hopes for him until QT joined him. The first segment went about 12 minutes long, but felt like 20. I'm happy to see they're trying to give those three some mic time, but I was mostly anticipating MJF coming in and wrecking the crew in 16 bars. Darby's reaction to getting a bye was out of character. Regardless, fun show, and thanks again for all the great content post-team. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for the feedback tonight and checking out Dynamite. Wait, we made it to the finish line. Oh, yeah, so many technical issues. Apologies if you're uh, watching on video. Hopefully an audio wasn't too much of a hiccup. And thank you, John, especially for um, you know holding down the ship as or steering the ship or whatever you call it um, so well. Hopefully I won't have these issues tomorrow. When I return with Jordan Goodman and Neil Flanagan at 3 p.m. Eastern time here at youtube.com slash post wrestling for the next edition of the wellness policy, we will be exploring mental health culture in pro wrestling with mental health professional and wrestling manager, Carl Martin. Carl currently leads ongoing mental health support groups for pro wrestlers and others working in the industry. So this is a, a, a guest and a subject and uh, tailor made for the wellness policy. So hopefully you guys will tune in at 3 p.m. tomorrow on thursday and also on thursday on the post wrestling cafe rewind away number 129 going through the pilot for all wheels wrestling so uh three cafe shows coming up uh between that show rewind to smackdown and then karen and bruce on sunday after the stardom pay-per-view so that's going to wrap it up for us tune into the wellness policy on thursday and that is it now my video is done